That was fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And thank you guys for having us, my family and I here again with you today. Mike, sound okay? Because we were having a hard time finding out this morning. We're good? Uh, I don't know why I break technology. I just don't. I can't, I can't find it. I just, iPad doesn't work right. It's terrible. Ah, I know. We're good. We're good. Uh, I did want to, before we get started today, I wanted to share a little bit about some things going on in our ministry, in our life. We live down in, uh, in Raleigh area, just talking about this morning with the rain and everything. So in North Carolina, we saw quite a bit of it. Uh, we actually had to evacuate the coast. We were on our vacation at the beach uh, the week the hurricane was coming. So, uh, so I, was, I was fighting a little bitterness, you know. Little, uh, me and Flo don't have a good relationship. Uh, wasn't excited about her coming to visit. Um, so, uh, but, but we did, we came in and Raleigh got, uh, we're, we're just north of Raleigh and Wake Forest and, and the rain was just, just consistent and regular, it's fine. Uh, but we are actually going to be, uh, moving further down, just put an offer on a house, have a contract on a house, I should say, uh, and, uh, that's down further in towards Raleigh in the city and going to be starting a ministry in Raleigh, uh, outreaching in the community there, uh, leading out in a, uh, uh, what we call growth groups at our church that's going to meet down in, near NC State. Uh, as well as a uh, outreach ministry where uh, the growing population of Raleigh is like a lot of major cities. It's a southern city, a Bible Belt city that's less and less southern. There is a, a large population of influx of just all four, sorts of just nationalities and folks from all over the world. I don't know if you've we, we, we pay attention to the news. Apple's talking about putting a corporate office there in Raleigh. Uh, the, Amazon's putting a new distribution center down south of Raleigh and Garner. It's just not going to slow down. Uh, it's continuing to grow. And right now, we're at about 75% unchurched uh, in, in the city, in that area, in the community that we're looking specifically to reach. Uh, and unchurched people, uniquely, won't visit just because you have a really cool program, your church. Unchurched people typically, if you have a great children's ministry, aren't going to come to put their kids in your children's ministry. Uh, they just don't, if you have a good, awesome, your graphics on your flyer might be amazing, but when you drop it on their door, they're not coming. Uh, so we are going to lead a group that's going to intentionally go out into the areas around NC State and those neighbors to uh, meet them at their doorstep where they are. Uh, spend time with them, get to know them, meet them, share what uh, the gospel has done in our life and how it's impacted us and what Christ really means to the believer in the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, serve them any way we can and develop those relationships and see where God takes us. Invite them into discovery uh, groups, discovery Bible studies is what we call them, opportunities for people in, in this day and age that seems so combative and argumentative. We're going to try to talk about what the Bible really says and how, uh, and how Scripture really applies in our lives and see if we can invite people into it. We believe God's going before us and the Spirit will work in them. We're asking you guys as well as partners in the gospel to pray for us as we go to do that work. Uh, I actually brought, um, I brought some little like prayer cards that we had made up. Love to share them with you. You want to grab one of those. City of Raleigh right there in the background talks a little about what we're doing and has my contact info. If you want to email me, ask anything about what's going on, we'd love to keep you in the loop. So thank you guys for that and praying for us as we do that. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses, uh, starting in verse 11. My family uh, is here with us as well. Um, Heather, my wife, if you were here last time, you met her, Heather, our four kids. We like to bring half the children's ministry with us when we come to a church. Uh, so Olivia, McKinley, Jeremiah, Adeline, little baby that's in the uh, nursery. Right now, I guess, give mommy a break while we're in here. So uh, we w- we, last time we were here, we went hiking, and this time it was raining. So we brought rain with us. I apologize uh, about that. 
So I'm going to start us out with actually reading in, uh, in the passage. I'm going to read in chapter 15, and while we're going to focus our time and study in the uh, verses 11 through uh, the end of the chapter in 32, I actually want to read everything leading up to that uh, to give us some context, and then I'm going to pray for our time, and, and we'll get started, okay? So let's, let's go ahead and begin reading in verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance? Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God, God's angels over one sinner who repents. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country, where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because, he's, because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, You are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the time we get in your word. And I pray, Lord, that it would be glorifying and honoring to your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work in me and through me and working in each heart in this room so that, Lord, we can see what is the depth and the breadth of your love and grace and mercy in seeking the lost. And we pray, Lord, that it would change even the hearts here today so that we don't walk out of this message unmoved and unshaped by the gospel. We love you. We thank you. We ask all this in your son's name. Uh, it hurts. It hurts to be misunderstood or misrepresented, doesn't it? It does. To know that someone believes something about you that's simply not true. It can affect others' behaviors towards you, the way they act around you, strain your relationships. The misrepresentation might be caused by someone else's ill intentions, or it might be something that you messed up on, something you did to cause people to misunderstand you. In our politically charged environment that we live in, in social media-driven world, we tend to see a lot of misrepresentation going around a lot. A lot. Uh, Misrepresentations galore. You can just turn on the TV and you'll see it. You can go to your Facebook page or whatever else you view and you can see it all on display. And one of the most often misrepresented throughout history is God and his character. Cartoons may show him as an old man on a golden throne just waiting for you to screw up so he can throw another lightning bolt on you, right? You might see demonstrations of him in some religious groups um, that protest and demonstrate and talk about and propagate the idea of his anger and his hatred without any of his grace. And others remove God's real hatred for sin. And they take away the requirement that God has for true justice and pretend like we're all generally just good enough for God. And all of those things are dangerous. And in the passage we study right here, Jesus is facing a crowd that is misrepresenting and misunderstanding who God is. See, the Jews were God's people and intended to live under God's law. And over the centuries, groups of these Jewish people had developed groups of them who were seen as very skilled at living under God's law. They were very artful about it. Matter of fact, the Pharisees, as we see in this particular passage, uh, would, would not only tithe a tenth of everything, I mean, to the point that they would go into their herb cabinet and their spices and get a tenth of that because they wanted to make sure above and beyond that they followed to a T what the law said. And because of that, they were upheld. They were seen as devout, as righteous. They were, they were looked up to because in God's law and his standard, they thought of the people who were most fulfilling what God had for them. And then there's the other side, which I feel like probably would be more me, uh, who probably failed on a regular basis of, of living up to the law, even to the point of just giving up. People who would even go so far as to say, guess what, I'm not even going to try to live within the temple and within the, the bounds of what the law has. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, they're always thrown into that group too. They didn't even like the IRS back then. Those people were the ones outside of the Jewish ordinances, and they were the ones that the Pharisees in this passage are really disgusted by. Because Jesus comes into this crew, and he starts to preach and teach a message which is unique and different from what they've heard in the past about the Father in heaven. And guess what? All these people who are desperate and, and despairing because they cannot live up to these Jewish standards and law and what they feel like they're falling short constantly are coming to him because they're hearing something different. They're coming to the physician, if you will, and they have the disease. 
And Jesus is preaching to them, he's talking to them, he's ministering to them. And at the, gen- at the beginning of this passage, he's ministering and serving all those sinners coming to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes are really disgusted by it. They, they don't recognize their own need for Jesus. And they were offended that he would even socialize with these sinners. That's what the passage says. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. They were complaining. In verse 2. Verse 3, by the way, when you're doing your Bible study, these words are fantastic. They connect everything, read together. Verse 3 starts with this term, so. So. So Jesus decided he's going to teach a lesson. He told them a parable. It's something that relates closely. They'll fall apart. It's not perfect all the time. Don't get too deep in the nuance of it. He's trying to tell you something. here. He's trying to generally give you an understanding of what is going on. He's trying to convey a message in the parable. And he's trying to, t- to convey a message about who God is because he's telling the Pharisees, you don't get it. You don't understand. Because according to Genesis, we were created as image bearers of God. We were to reflect the character and the person of God to a watching world. And the Jews, as God's people, had been especially commissioned for that time and task. And they were getting it terribly wrong. So he responds with three different parables. The first was the one of the lost sheep. We read that. The lost sheep where, hey, which one of you guys, if you had 100 sheep, you lose one of them, would you leave the 99 and go to the open field and go after them? Yeah, you would. You go follow them. I spoke one time at a, at a church where a guy shared with me after. He was a shepherd. He said, it's so funny. Sheep are just mindless. And they'll just wander off and disappear. And you'll spend the day looking for the sheep. And he said, we had to crawl under our house one time. And then sheep had just, just gone up under it. And he just didn't know how to back out. He's just sitting there under this house, and you're like, so, so this is what he's saying. He's talking to a, a shepherding, farming community. Hey, which one of you, if you lost a sheep, you wouldn't go get it? You know you would. And then when you get them back, you celebrate. What's he say about God? In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need it. Hey, all the sheep back here, you're not celebrating them. What are you celebrating? The one that you found, the loss that you brought back. Likewise, he goes to the parable of the lost coin. He talks about a woman who had 10 silver coins. This is a substantial amount of money for her. And she loses one of them. Who in here, if you lost a tenth of your wealth, that would be a big deal. She lost one of her coins, so she did. She cleans out the house. She sweeps. She turns on all the lights and the lamps. She's looking for this coin, and when she finds it, she celebrates. My friends probably find out when I lose a tenth of my money, and they'll find out when I find it, and I get it back. She is a party. They can relate. They understand. So it is, there is joy in the presence of God's angel over one sinner who repents. Do you see a pattern? He's building. He says, the shepherd goes after the lost sheep. That's how heaven and the Father is. The coin is lost. The woman finds it and celebrates. That's what it looks like in heaven with the angels. And then we lead up to the the paragraph, the parable that we're actually going to look out today, the final parable, which is about the man who had two sons. You often heard this referred to as maybe the prodigal son. It, here in the, in the CSB, it titles this section as the parable of the lost son, keeping with the themes. The son who's lost and then found. The father says it that way. He was lost, and now he's found. Now he ends the passage that way. Jesus wants to demonstrate in here God's grace, and he does it using two different types of sinners. It's not about one son. It's about two. He talks about the rebellious sinner and the younger brother, And he talks about the religious moralist and the older brother. Because Jesus wants to demonstrate God's heart of grace in the gospel, 
toward both the rebellious and the moralist. God's heart of grace is extended in the gospel to both the rebellious sinner and the moralist, and I want us as a church to realize the depth of God's love and grace in the gospel towards all people. J.C. Ryle actually speaks of this particular parable, and he calls it the most full and instructive of the parables. He adds, there's probably no chapter in the Bible that has done greater good to the souls of men. To expose the heart of the Father, we want to look at the parable of the lost son. And we see in this parable there are two ways of separation from God, and there is one way of restoration. There are two ways you can be separated from God and only one way back home. So let's consider the three characters here in this passage. Only three characters and what they say about the father. The first is the younger brother, the hedonist. Okay? The younger brother comes to the father and says, Dad, let's read the passage. The younger brother, the younger of them, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Little context. Two sons, the younger brother's inheritance would be one-third of the estate, the older brother would be two-thirds. The older brother, the firstborn, is always supposed to get a double portion over everybody else. So the, the, the brother, the son, comes to him and says, give me what's mine in your estate. There's a problem here, because you're not supposed to get that till dad dies. Essentially telling father, I really don't care if you're here or not, can I have my money? And if, you're, if it's shady at all, if you think, well, maybe not. Maybe he's just hard up. He wants a little funds. No, the next day, not many days later, the younger son gathered every head and he left. He didn't really care. He didn't want dad. He wanted the father. He wanted to get father's stuff. And he took father's stuff that he had from him and he left. And this isn't like today's world where you could actually go across the entire country. You could go across the world to the other side. I have friends who are in Europe. I have friends over in Asia. I could be on a video conference call with them this afternoon. I'd see them again, right? I could do that. Then you go to a far country, and I see you again. He says, Dad, let me have the things that are due to me, your goods, your funds, your money, and I want to go to a far country, which means I really don't care if I see you again. I'm a father. Any of my kids said that to me. Moms, dads. First off, I'm probably not giving them the money. No, let me take that. First off, I'm not giving them the money. Okay. That is, in this case, the crowd listening and saying, the younger son said, what? Everyone in the crew said, did you chase him out of the house? No, that's not how the father responds. The father responds, So he distributed the assets to them. Who is this dad? I don't have him. You come to me, have my assets? Sure, here it is. Matter of fact, in that passage, the assets is also the term for life. He essentially took his life. What was his life? What his his being? And he distributed it to his boys. Because in this particular world, they didn't necessarily have IRAs and big savings accounts. Their, land was, their, their money and their wealth was tied up in their land and their possessions. This, he, would, he would have been selling stuff off or giving him half of everything he developed over his lifetime. And this father, in this story, Jesus tells, says, so he gave it to him, and he left. The younger son left. 
He left. He went, to the, he went off to a far country, reading in verse 13. He traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. We don't know specifically what it says in this passage as foolish living. He was wasteful, apparently. But in later in the, in the chapter, uh, the older son refers to uh, wasting your money on prostitutes. So apparently he was out just living it up. He was spending it on whatever perversions or whatever debauchery he wanted to. And he was wasting the money that his father had spent a lifetime gathering and then just gave to him. So what was he in for? He wasn't in for dad because he left. And he was in for the pleasures of this world because he spent the money on him. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country. He had nothing. Verse 14, he had nothing. So now he's wasted his money that he had from dad. He's ashamed because he left, right? He can't. <laughs> I cannot imagine. If I just spent everything that dad just gave me, and possibly he got word of what I spent it on because the, son, the older son knew prostitutes. Can you imagine trying to go back to dad? That's not the position he's in. He doesn't want to go back to dad. So what's he choose to do? We know he doesn't want to go back to that because he goes to find money by going to work for a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs, which is a glamorous job. I mean, we have seen economic hardships, and maybe some of you have had experiences in that, where you've gotten to the point where maybe feeding pigs was the only solution you had. That's where this guy was where he had to find a way to provide for himself, and even to the point that he says he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. He had friends before because he was spending money. Now he's eating pig. He's, he's not eating. He longs to eat the pig food, pig pods. I don't even know what that's made of. I'm not going to pretend that's just not eating pig food. I don't think so. He wants to, but guess what? No friends would give him any. They wouldn't even share pig food with him. That's a low spot. That is a low spot. He longed to eat it. They wouldn't give him, and he came to his senses. This is that point where it seems like, oh, is this a repentant moment for this son? This younger brother has said he came to his senses. What's the senses he came to? How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. He's got a plan. He's come to his senses. What is it? Dad's got people that work for him that are doing better than I am right now. Dad has people working his land. Here's what I'm going to do. I made a mistake. I wasted my dad's money. I'm going to go back to dad, and I'm going to say, Dad, I can't believe what I did. I wasted all your funds. Just hire me on as a hand. Not a servant note, because a servant would have lived in the household. A hired hand. Someone who lived in town and just came in for money. He, he, he's actually believing still at this point that he can work to earn back the Father's love. He actually still believes at this point that when he goes and returns, he needs to make something up to the Father for what he's done. And that's the heart in which he's heading back home. He heads home. He goes home in verse 20. So he got up. He went to his father. And how does the father respond? As a, as a dad, I will tell you, if I sat on my kitchen and I looked out the window and I saw this son coming over the hill, probably my first thought is, now what? Right? This ought to be good. Let's see what comes next. Tapping your finger. 
This is coming the door. Come on, I'm going to hear this next speech. What do you want now? I heard about, I heard about what you did over, over in this place, huh? What do you come and do this? This is embarrassing. You know, the neighbors found out about what you're doing over there. Their brand town's been talking about it. How do you think that makes me look? Is that what the Father here does? This is, is that the Father that Jesus describes? No. So, but while the son was still a long way off, he saw him through the window, he saw him out the tent, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And actually, the, the language there, he threw himself on his neck. Threw his arms around his neck. He saw his son a long way off and said, God, you're back. And he wrapped his arms around him. Welcome home, son. Welcome home. And the son starts into his spiel. Remember how you practice that ahead of time when you got a big thing to give? He, this earlier, the son was practicing what he's going to tell his dad, and he gets into it here, starting in verse 21. So the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he gets there, right when he's about to ask to be a hired hand, and dad has no part of it. The father here says in verse 22, told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sand on his feet and then bring the fattened calf and slaughter and let's celebrate with a feast because his son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That is the heart. Look at the heart of the father. The, the son thought he could come back and earn his way into father's home that he could pay his dad back in some way, and, the, and that he could, he could come in as a hired servant. But the father said, no, bring out the best robe and put them on and put a ring on his finger. Robe and ring and sandals. You know what that is? Son's home. This is sonship. The ring is the signet. It's the, it's the family seal. It's remarking documents. He said, this is my boy, and he's back in the house. You don't work your way back into my house, son. You're in. He threw a best robe on him. And then, after he got his sandal, his robe, and his ring on the sun, he said, bring the fattened calf out and let's kill it. And guys, this isn't like when you get the chicken from KFC and bring it home. Like, when they killed, in this particular community, when you killed for meat, it was a big deal. And a really big deal, which was really expensive, was the fattened calf. The fattened calf meant the whole town's coming over to find out your home. So he starts throwing a party, so much so that the older brother is out in the field and he hears it. Now, guys, before we get to the, the older brother, though, I want we to recognize that in this particular passage with the younger brother, he is seeking satisfying life in the pleasures of this world, and he's not finding it. We can spend our life chasing wealth, fame, and pleasure, but never find satisfaction. He came to his senses. He came back to the father and he saw the father's grace. But then the older brother, the older brother heard the party. The older brother is the one that does everything right. The older brother, he figured out all the right things to do in the church and he does them. He's the one, he's the kid growing up. I, I might have fit into this category growing up. I won't, I won't not claim it or deny it. But you know, that all the other moms thought that would be a good boy. He's, look at him, look at him, he's doing the right thing. He's always, he's always listening to his parents, right? Yep, don't say anything, Mom. Uh, my mom's here. <laughs> That's 
can't use that example. Um, he, he's, he's, he's always uh, working hard for dad. He's always here. He's supporting him. This is the father. He's the boy. He stayed home with dad. And now he comes in. He, you guys may have heard this. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't go with girls who do. That's this guy. This, the, that's the older brother. He did all the right things. Okay? He, he was, unlike his brother, seeking satisfying life in his performance. He's happy about that. Look, I, I, Michael, how many people enjoy a good pat on the back, whether it's your workplace or your home? It's good, right? Like, hey, if I take the trash out at home, I make sure my wife knew I did it. Okay? Hey, yeah, by the way, you know, I just wiped up that spill in the kitchen. Just wanted you to be aware of it. She's got a baby on the hip. She's changing the diapers. She's got kids screaming. It's like, thanks for that. Thanks for getting that. But that's the older brother. He's happy with performance. He's glad that he gets a pat on the back. But now, how do we know that's true? Because he hears the party, and he says, hey, his older son was in the field, and he came near the house. What did he say? He heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. The servant told him, your brother's here. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the older brother was like, yes, my younger brother is here, right? We're excited about that. No, he stayed out in the field and says in verse 28 and became angry and didn't want to go in. What's the father do? He came out and he pled with him. Don't miss that, folks. In both cases, the younger brother coming back the younger son coming back, the father ran out to him. The older brother in the field wouldn't come into the party. The father came out to him. The father wants to draw in the lost, into the home, into the family. And the father came out to him and pled with him. But he replied to his father and said this, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders yet. You never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, that's on purpose. He didn't say his brother. He didn't say your other son. He said this son of yours. That's, that's the kind of language I get when one of my kids is not performing well at home during the day. And my wife meets me at the door and says, do you know what your, this son of yours did? Hmm? You want to find out what that, that son of yours did today? Yeah, we know that. That's what he tells his dad. This son of yours came home. He's not even acknowledging him in the family. And when he came home, the one who devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. What is the young, older brother mad about? He's mad because his dad is celebrating the son who returned home and I've been here and been doing all the right things, and I didn't get a goat. Remember, because it's already been divided assets, the rest of the stuff is his. So dad actually slaughtered his fattened calf for his brother. And he was not happy about it. You did what with my IRA? You did what with my bank account? My brother went and spent all that stuff, and you, spent, you gave him what? That's what he's angry about. He's about the money. He is not much different from his brothers because both brothers were seeking joy and satisfaction in the good things that the father had, but they missed the fact 
that joy and satisfaction is actually found in the house in relationship with the Father. They were still hung up on his stuff. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1 when he, when he discusses the people celebrating and worshiping the created things rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Just like those people that Paul refers to in Romans, these two brothers love the things the Father gives, but they don't, they don't recognize the grace and love and relationship of the Father and the gift that it is. We can do the same thing when we go day in and day out. We go into a church or we go to the Father. We go before God or we come to Jesus because we think there's something going to come with it that's going to support and help us. It's the same damaging gospel that's getting propagated around the globe, often referred to as a prosperity gospel, but, but it's propagated in many countries around this world that says, if you come to Jesus, these are all the things that you'll have. You'll have great Good money, big bank accounts. You have perfect health. All your relationships will be healed. Why? Because you will break through and Christ and will, that you have and you come to will make all these things great and good for you. Which is a far cry from Paul because Paul felt like he was pretty close to Jesus and he talks about being shipwrecked multiple times, being bit by poisonous snakes on multiplications, being stoned to the near death. He was normally chased out of town. That doesn't sound like he had a very prosperous life if you go by the world standards. And so these brothers are looking at the Father and saying, these are the good things you have. These are what I want from you. But what I'm telling you is that the Father in the relationship, that's where life is, not in his stuff. Jesus is trying to demonstrate to us that the Father is the good gift that we get. The Father is the gracious, loving, kind perfect father that is all we need in life not his things those are fantastic byproducts if he gives generous in giving them and he is fully generous with his kids his children he is fully generous i'm not dividing my assets up among my kids right now this father is giving and kind and they miss it there are two ways that we can falter we can be like the first younger brother maybe you're running from church you're running from god because you think you can never live up to it and you're chasing off the pleasures of this world thinking that's where satisfaction is father is waiting at the kitchen table he's waiting and he's pleading that you come home he's pleading that you return back to the family don't seek good things out in this world separate from the father but come into the father's home Likewise, we could also be the older brother, which in this parable is what Jesus is demonstrating to the Pharisees, right? If you miss that connection. He's trying to say, you are the older brothers. You're sitting here acting all high and pious, and you're upset because we're celebrating the lost who are found. We could be that older brother, can't we? Can we get performance-based? Can we love the pat on our back too much? Here's a little test for you. Have you ever seen someone get a promotion or a celebration for something good you did in the back of your mind you think, but, but what I did this, or what about I never got that kind of recognition? That, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. We can tend towards the older brother too in the church. 
There are only one way back in a relationship with the Father. And the Father in this parable goes out to the sons to bring them home. But the truth is, there's a third, there's a third son in this story. The younger son and the older son are in the parable. The third son, the true son, is telling the parable. The true son is telling the parable. And there are two ways we can look at this parable. We can see two ways that we can be separate from the Father, but there is only one true way back in a relationship with the Father, and that's through the sacrifice of the true Son. The Father comes out to both brothers, and He comes out to them. And the third and the true brother is Jesus. See, in this parable, the older brother, really as, an, as a protection, as a guard of the family name, really has an obligation to bring his brother home. If he's really going to protect the family name, knowing this son, this son of his father's is out decimating it, spending and doing whatever he is in this other country, he should have gone out to bring him home. But he doesn't. He stays at home. The older brother thought that restoration was also not worth the expense. He, he didn't go out after the brother, and when the brother came home, why did we kill a calf for him? But the true, the true brother, the true son, Jesus, he left his rightful place beside the Father and came into this world to pursue us, the lost, the sinning, the dying, he took what was rightfully his and he bore the weight of our sin, stripping himself of all that was right, all that was his, to become for us a servant. Philippians 2, 6-11. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus left his rightful place beside the heavenly Father, and he came to us. He took on full humanity in a land hostile to the Father. In Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He took on that weight as a sheep before the slaughter. See, where the younger son sought pleasures, where the older son was happy with performance, and they never saw the weight of the father, the true son Jesus left what was rightfully his with the father to pursue the loss and bring us back into the family. In the parable, the father killed the fattened calf in celebration for his restored son, and restoration to God's family does come at a high cost. Forgiveness and restoration always has a cost. It always does. If you have a friend or a family member that deeply wrongs you, and you choose to forgive them and restore that relationship, there's a reason it's difficult. There's a reason that it's difficult. It's because you are choosing to absorb that wrong yourself and not counting it against them anymore. So in the same way, when an infinite God is sinned against, and because of his great love and his mercy for us, seeks to forgive and restore us into the family, it has a high cost. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
So the cost for the Father is His Son. Offering eternal life through Him. God sent His Son Jesus to die for both the hedonist and for the moralist. Younger brothers in here, stop running. Stop running from the Father. He's filled with grace and mercy and He'll come running out to you to meet you if you simply turn home. Trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ is enough. Tim Keller says that when most people reject Christianity, they are actually rejecting religiosity. I'm telling you, that is not the true gospel and grace of the Father. This is what Jesus demonstrates. This is the Father in his heart. Psalm 34, 8, I pray that you would with me like in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Older brothers in here, your good behavior does not earn you the Father's favor. Repent of self-righteousness and rest your faith in the saving work of Christ. We're all broken, and the ground is level at the cross. And fellow believers, let's follow after our older brother, the true son. Welcome the lost and the broken. Apart from grace, that's us. Go into the world with the message of the gospel. There is grace and mercy at the Father's table. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the time you've given us here today. God, just to worship over your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would, in your grace, move your Holy Spirit on us in a very special way. Shape and transform hearts here today, even as we see, Lord, your love and kindness demonstrated in this parable, but even more so in the way you sent your Son to the cross to die so that we might live. Lord, we're grateful for you, grateful for Jesus. Pray that you just work in mighty ways through us and let us leave here today transformed. We ask all this in your son's name.